I stand firmly in the fact that I'm one of the best to ever do this. For my city, for my coach, and for my coach. This is my declaration. This is the best rapper in LA podcast, podcast, podcast. What up, though? <laughs> this is Mars. Okay. The new album, most likely. Most likely. You picked this shit up because you a underground hip hop consumer, right? Or you just tired of me yelling at your ass out in front of the club? Oh, buddy. Either way, this good music. Oh, buddy. Mid City, LA. California. This was me, Jesus Christ, man. 1999. So what is that? I just turned 21. What a fuckhead. Oh man. This is the best rapper in LA podcast. This one's about good music. My second solo album. Um, there's a lot that went into this one. There was um a losing of all the lyrics and beats. And I think I told part of the story on, on Homie Sean's podcast. I forget what it's called. It's part of the Stony Island podcast. Open mic eagle thingy they have. Stony where he plays random tracks. Welcome to Can Knock the Shuffle. I am Sean Kantrowitz. As you've heard, maybe in the Grouch, taking to the bass song, uh, and here multiple times, you know, I was going selling weed between here and L.A., between here and LA, shit, because I'm in the Bay in my mind, because it's where this was all taking place. Between the Bay and LA. On Telegraph with them fat ass dimes. See the Bay got that lime in LA. We were still smoking brown at the time. So when I got back home, fools wasn't trying to hear 354 zone. Hell no. That's until they got blown. Then they came to my door like cuts on. Now I'm going back and forth, Greyhound, hella green in my green transport. I had just uh, brought some weed down on the Greyhound, was heading back. Back then I had a disc man with a shit ton, fuck ton of CDs, disc man, and a mini disc player. I think you could even go to vinyl off a of mini disc. It was a high, um, high fidelity format for you to mix down to and also collect beats from producers in a way where you didn't have to rewind the beat again. Imagine how people play beats. If you're a rapper right now, you know you loop the beat on your computer or whatever. Anyway, someone like Eli would have to put it on a cassette for 30, 90 minutes. You'd have to talk to the producer or hang out with the producer while they made this beat tape just so you could write one song. And you'd have to fast forward or rewind it or dub it on both sides and let it auto-reverse. That's when the tape would automatically flip over and play the next side in your Walkman. Or on your tape deck, if you had a fancy tape deck, which I had because I was still dubbing my own tapes on a high-speed tape deck. But that's what you would have to do. So mini disc changed all that. You could just loop it. The producer could layer a five-minute version of it on your mini disc. Boom. You use a Y cord, which is two RCAs to an eighth inch, which is a headphone cord. Plug that into his whatever out, receiver out or beat machine out. Boom. You're done. So I had a mini disc with all these beats. I had my first uh, like graffiti writer book where I was writing all these songs. I had songs written on all these beats on my mini disc player. I had a stack of probably, I'd say, I don't even know what the largest thing you could have, probably 200, I think it was 280, some random number. A huge stack of CDs, the mini disc, 
and the mini disc player. My headphones, a disc man to play the CD so I can go back and forth. Cause some of the beats were still on CDR, which was still relatively new technology. But if you didn't have a burner for your CDR, I had a disc man, a mini disc player I could hook up. On the Greyhound back, writing my new album. It's called Good Music. It's 1999, very, very pre-Kanye. He was still doing his 58, five beats every day for three, some whatever the fuck he's talking about. Oh, I always get mad at that line. So what, nigga? Who gives a shit? Lock yourself in a room doing five beats a day for three summers. I deserve to do these numbers. The kid that made that deserves that made back. You worked at the Gap, made beats in your mom's basement. Ooh, how edgy, how hardcore. Gosh. Yeah, I don't know my struggle. Not judging anyone's struggle. Everybody's struggle is relative. But fuck, when I heard that, I was like, oh, wow, really? Fool. The tears, the pain, ow, the anguish, the hours. Making beats on the equipment that your mom probably bought you. Oh, your mom and dad pitched in a gosh. Nice warm basement by yourself with your own equipment. Ooh. He's a jackass. Anyway, I also have tapes. I stayed at my mom's house after I sold the weed. I still reinvested the money in tapes, bought some more tapes, most likely for real good music. This is the thing when you have a back catalog and your your own label and you have no CDs, you have to keep the store stocked. Thank God. So I'm dubbing tapes for access at this point, I believe. Yeah, for access, which is mystic-journeyman.com. He's selling shit, ATAC with P minus. He's selling shit. Point Blank Magazine was another place selling shit. Sandbox Automatic is selling shit. Certain stores through in LA that were showing us love was very many. I think Aaron's Records was on board at that point. Amoeba hadn't moved down to LA yet. The Bay to LA, like Amoeba, player, player. Mia Berkeley was still the epicenter where we were selling the most tapes, selling 50 to 100 of each album. So I had to buy 100 tape, blank tapes, special edition. I had some with swirls on them. I had a solid blue one for for real, or you know, solid, a translucent blue one, and uh, another one for back for no good reason. So like three different kind of tapes so I could remember. And I stayed up and dubbed 100 or something, 150 of each. So this is 450 tapes, along with the CD booklet, along with the mini displayers, along with my rhyme book. On the way down, along with weed that I sacked up. Now I'm going back with money, no weed, and a shit ton of tapes that I made at my mom's house. Staying up all night, hitting record. You can only dub half the speed time. This is before I just started getting someone else to do it, and I didn't have a high-speed dubber like some other, because I was like $900. I didn't have $900 to invest because I had to buy. So while you're dubbing the tapes, you're cutting out with scissors all the album covers. So I now have three different albums that I have to restock. So I have to dub them, fold the tape covers, cut them out, go to Kinko's. It's a huge process. So I'm doing my own manufacturing, recording, engineering, A&Ring, distribution, everything. Going back on the ground, back to that. Get to Amoeba, get to downtown Oakland, which was a shithole. It's a little less of a shithole now. I, I say that with love, but it's not very developed at all. And it's janky as fuck when you come off the Greyhound at 6 a.m. So I slept on the Greyhound, all the shit. I get my shit, head to East Oakland, drop off most of my shit, get up in the morning, going straight over to uh, from East Oakland back to Berkeley, which is you have to pass through downtown Oakland again on the AC Transit. Because I couldn't afford Bart. Fuck you. Get to Berkeley. Go in. Drop off all my shit. You know what? I'm, I felt like it, I, I was fresh off the bus. I didn't even get to go home yet. I was fresh off the bus. That's why I had my CDs with me. 
you have to check your bag. Even though I'm a fucking telegraph rat, security knows me. We smoke BDs or whatever, weed, selling wheat. Like I know everybody on this on telegraph at this point because it's my life. It's my block, our block. He asked me to check in my bag. So I give him all my CDs and my mini discs, my rhyme book, everything. Then I take my 150 CDs and I have to call somebody from the back because this is a big order. Boom, you know. So I might, big order, I might make, work, make, you know, $700 today, if I'm lucky. I think the good music, no, the commercial and Back For No Good Reason were $3, because they sold them for 5 And then the other one was $7. So you got to do the math. I'm not going to do that shit. It's late at night for me. So I'm making a nice check of money, but all this is going to go to check and reinvest and buy more weed, buy more everything. So, boom, sell the shit. While I'm selling, while they're counting, they have to count all these tapes, check them, you know what I mean? While they're counting all the tapes, listening to them, whatever they do, I'm in looking for more tapes. So who's dropped shit while I've been down in LA? Because there's no release date, so you got to see that, oh, the, the Comedic Sons put something out. Did the homie blog, the Hubble Junction drop off some tapes? Because also, this is the day before cell phones and texting. I believe I started a pager. Like, you have to check in with the homies and i don't check in with homies it's not in my crew so I, but i still want to see what they're up to is kirby dropping some shit because everybody be talking about i'm about to drop my tape but you know so i'm checking see what other dudes get some cds that i want get back to the front 30 45 minutes after shopping all my shit is gone g all my shit someone hopped behind the counter on Telegraph, took my bag, stole everyone's bag while the security guard was on break and no one was watching our shit that they make us give them to secure it. I've been through some things in my life where I've definitely practiced no attachment. So usually when shit like that happens, people are like, yo, don't freak out. And I'm already not freaking out. But keep in mind, I just lost my new album that I'm in the beta record. I think at this time too, I had already sold it to Mary Joy. So maybe I had a little more money. I had already sold it to Mary Joy, which is a label with Shingo 2 that I mentioned. He did the cover for For Real. He hooked me up with uh, Hero, who was a CEO of Mary Joy, who put out our first single called Blank Paper. Um, I believe the gentleman that recorded it passed away. And uh, I was a feature on Blank Paper, my first time on Wax. Blank Paper makes me wanna write. Solid moments make me wanna write. Now give me any instrumental combined with the pencil and a blank sheet. I guarantee that I create the beat. For them fools out there thinking that the underground don't got no heat. I'll come with some shit to run your punk ass up off the street. Thinking you an MC. More like Mighty Cone Coward. Get devoured over tracks. Get all up in your And once blank paper dropped. Higo wanted to sign me and license my album, but only for Japan. So I would have the rights to sell this album to anyone in Europe, any other continent. He just had the territory of Japan. And I think they gave me a $5,000 advance, which is equal to my Strange Music advance 15 years, 20, 15, 16 years later. Go figure. And double what my Def Jux advance was. And that's for the worldwide territory, just to let you guys in on that. And this guy only wanted Japan and license, and I owned the masters, and he gave me five grand. The difference is between American business and everywhere fucking else. I was going to use that money to buy CDs, and I think they gave me half up front. So I had 2500 up front. Have the album written. This album is sold. The beats are on these mini discs. The producers 
may or may not have these beats still. Everything is gone. Plus my CDs, plus my Walkman, plus my mini disc player. So it's about $1,000 worth of shit. My bag, gone. The owner of Amoeba, I forget her name, or Karen. One of the owners, she comes down, she apologizes to me. They don't even give me a gift certificate. They say, we know you had a shit ton of CDs. Go back in the store, get every single CD that was stolen, and we'll comp it. We'll comp a headphones, we'll comp a CD player. Your music, I had studio sessions lined up starting that week with Eclipse 427. And I started from scratch. I rewrote the whole album. I have no idea what the album was going to sound like. I don't think I reapproached any of the topics. It was a shit show for me. And that's good music. The original cover, it was, I was working on it. I wanted E40 and Tupac, two people I think very highly of, if you know me, had done double albums. Everyone was, and Biggie, three people I think very highly of, had done double albums. I was doing a double album. I was going to be the first underground rapper with a double album. And I met someone who did CD-ROM technology, which was high, where you can, can include video on your CD. Imagine that. So I wanted to do eight extra songs and some movies that I would film on my camera because I had started trying to do MCTV, which was a VHS underground hip-hop documentary video magazine that I wanted to invent, that I did invent. I wanted to put off some of that type of footage on the CDs. Plus, I reinvested. I knew what the cover wanted. I was really in love with uh, biracial girls. I had an idea, I had this vision of a, of a new thing in like Ohio players and having women on the cover instead of my face was a big deal to me. And I actually paid one of my homegirls hairdressers to be do the album cover. Cause I just asked her if she knew any mixed girls cause they were so rare at the time. She said she would pose for it. I didn't have to be there. She took a picture for me. Uh, I think Shingo drew it, and uh, that was the album cover, a pencil sketch of a, of a biracial young lady, kind of not in fetal position, just like knees up, a profile of that. Really beautiful picture, well-drawn, and just said good music. I listened to this music, and that's not what I hear, but this is the idea I had for the cover before. <laughs> I had to rewrite the whole album. Simple was just a fucking... Okay, so that was just me rapping, 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 rapping. Very, you know, introspective, but battle rap. Elusive produced that. Um, according to Discogs. I'm going off Discogs now. So Elusive produced Simple. Then we got 24 Hours with the G. This was produced by Vest One of Double K. Um, I have a song called Flowers by People. Flowers for People Under the Stairs. It's out right now. I met that dude that's one in high school. He was cool with my homie named Michael. Better known to the world as Double K. Back then we would kick it like every day. Desi lived way out in San Pedro. I was hella far from what's the late, bro. But he had dope beats and a four track. We would freestyle and record that. Yelling who? Um, you can stream it everywhere, and it tells that we. I went to high school with Mike. He introduced me to Thess. Thess had a house out in uh, whatever beach area, city he's from. I fucking forget right now. Way down San Pedro. He had equipment. Kid with two parents that had some fucking equipment and a lot of talent. And he, this is one of the beats. We have a freestyle tape. And when I first moved up to the Bay, when I moved to Santa Cruz with my first girlfriend, I would bump this freestyle tape because I think it was me, the homie Beck Timber, 
Double K and Thess all on his house, smoking BDs. Jazz Mac, Elad, smoking BDs on his balcony, smoking weed. I wasn't drinking then. I'm sure they might have been drinking. And we were 14, 15, 16 year olds, May 17 year old kids hanging out in Thess's room and freestyling, a freestyle session. And we had some beats. And uh, this was a beat that Thess just kept in rotation. That tape. And my ex, my first girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend played for her friend at the radio station in Santa Cruz. That tape and Red Dots is what made him invite me up to the radio station to freestyle and do an interview on the college radio station where I met Mystic Journeyman. And I went bump. I wish I still had that tape. We had some fun. It was just fun. But I freestyle. I, I killed it over that beat. And I always thought, like, when I get on a real record deal or whatever, I want to use that beat with fucking Grover. Picasso, shout him for cutting this. Oh, I am just fine, my good friend. And what are you doing with yourself on this bright and Man, sunny day? I'm just trying to do this new song with Chaos and Thess. That sounds like a splendid thing to do. Man, we having a little trouble, though. Oh, trouble? Well, what is the trouble? Well, well, shit. We ain't got the motherfucker to sing the chorus. I ain't got nobody to do that shit. What? Hey, fool, do this shit for me. Come on. Wait, it would be no trouble at all. We have a whole back and forth, and then he gets on the mic. La 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 la. Oh, shit. La la la. Like that, nigga, do that shit. La 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 la. La la la. Woke up about noon, gave thanks. Used to be a So he's doing a la 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 la, and technically this is my first hit record. The first song that I performed until people liked it, but it was a nice thing for people to sing along. And everybody knows Grover, so it was um, it was an easy sell. 24 hours with the G, just a day in the life. And some stars starts with me, I think, meeting a girl and having to go to sell tapes to Jay Smooth, who had another, that was another mail order, B-Boy Kingdom. He would buy tapes from us, 20, 15, 10, 5 tapes, and he'd flip them. And let you guys know, like, it was like 20 cents per album cover. You go to Kinko's, you get an 8 by 11 and a half thing. You try to design your cover where you could have four sheets. Me, I'm long-winded, so it was just two because I wanted to have my album and liner notes. Full color, both sides, so you can get four. Oh, no, one side. Shit, one side. I was tripping. Um, I think color copies were between $1 and $1.69. They fluctuated. But like someone like Sunspot Jones stole, like Kinko's used to have these like clunky called key cards that were thick counters, like machine counters that you had to, sh- before they had card technology, you shove it in. So Sunspot just racked one. And we had one at the outhouse. So you can go in with your own key counter and press as many as you wanted when they started having color copies on the floor. But before that, we'd have a friend called um, Soul Unusual, who was a rapper from, the, from San Leandro, I believe, that lived in the outhouse with us. And he worked at Kinko's. And that's how we would trade him shit for that or pay him a sign. He'd do free color copies for us. If you're watching this video, that means you've just been hired to work here at Popular Copy. Manuel, why were you late? Man, I got here when I could. Shit, you're not my fucking moms. So you spend $2 a tape, you sell them for five or seven, you're making five bucks per tape. Jay Smooth would then sell it for 10, or Ramiba would sell it for 10, they make three bucks a tape. This day was just about a day in the life of me meeting a girl, 
giving her the privilege of riding around with me all day because I was a fucking hobosexual or motosexual, I guess. Never was really a hobosexual. I never had sex with people. That's the new term I got put up on, where for, for men who don't have their own crib, who fuck different women, so they have a place to sleep instead of at their mom's house. I would like sleeping, sleeping at my own house, in my mom's house when I had to. But I did mess with a lot of girls with cars. Not solely for that purpose, but it always helps. So I definitely did depend on women I was dating or had met to take me to run my errands. During this is where all the high kicks and moshing came in. At this time, I was really in love with the break. There's like a hardcore rock breakdown in the song, kind of, where that switched up the beat. Now this is how I handle the day. First off, the homie Jay down at B-Boy Kingdom to see how many new texts he needed me to bring in. He said she was dumb, so I called the girl I had met at the club, told her to come to me so I could get these in. After that, dropped me off on the block, told her she could have the and I would hate it doing the second verse because it's so offbeat. So during the second verse, when the beat changed up, I would just rock out and like do the fucking punk rock jump and like skank across the stage and just go crazy and then get out of breath. And then when it came back to la 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 la, I'd get the crowd to sing. And by then everybody's all jazzed up and laughing and, you know, we're having fun. So that was my gimmick. And uh, because I did that, after I did it one night at Maritime Hall, I think we we're open for Outcast. We finna take up y'all up a couple of flights on these elevators real quick from the ATL. And, and, you, your mama and if you know what time it is, like this, yeah. let somebody say ho, ho, say ho. Picasso's like slapped. He was our DJ. He was a rapper. And, Bar and Bizarro slapped a, a punk rock gauntlet on my hand, like the spike bracelet. It's like, you need to wear this now. Which led to me getting one custom made for the end of the beginning and I wore it for a while. Because I was performing that song for years and years and years after this. Next one is Zoning. What Eclipse. Um, Zoning. Microphone into all my living legends ripping shows off the hen. I'm Zoning. I'm just talking about conscious rappers. At that time, I become fed up. A lot of the rappers I grew up thinking were gods and earths and righteous were just scumbags trying to have sex with white women by preying on their self-esteem and calling them the devil. And that's peace, God. How you doing? And, you know, living off their fans and just, just real shitty people, bro. You know, not living what they were talking about and uh, just... It was bullshit. So that's the kind of dissing them and the hip hop heads once again who thought that they knew what real hip hop was because they were conscious and woke and black or privileged and white and they judged people who made ghetto music. Like I said before, I'm not a huge, I wasn't a huge fan of Puffy, but I respected him. I respected all black men creating this art because this is what it was for us. You know, it's our device to help elevate us out of the circumstances we've been thrust into by no fault of our own. And for people to, to say that it's not hip-hop just pissed me off. So that's kind of what Zone is about. L.A. Story, I recorded that on Central Avenue. So yeah, this is after Higo gave me the money. I've been in Japan once. I bought a Roland VS840 that recorded on Zip Disc, and I recorded this album. Yeah, because he after Blank Paper came out, he flew me out to do some shows. Gave me the deal for good music. So this is L.A. Story. Um, my brother is a huge individual. This time, probably 6'4", 300-something pounds. He had a nice Ford Bronco, which I eventually crashed into the Knicks check cash, you know, Pico and La Brea. You can still see the damage to the wall now if you ever want to drive through L.A. The white Bronco is spotted. 
take a trip. He would play, he had two 15 inch speakers in the back, all these amps. And uh, I would uh, go places with him. And uh, just talking about being on Crenshaw on a Sunday night, niggas tripping, my brother. And like, I never understood, like, man, all you guys are going to hang out in this parking lot on the corner of Crenshaw and Exposition and wait till A, the police come and tell you guys to move and arrest a couple of you. And then you guys always drive down to Crenshaw and Imperial or to Crenshaw and Manchester to the rallies or checkers or whatever that is over there and hang out in that parking lot until they kick you out. Then you guys all drive back up to this parking lot. It was like a thing. I was my brother and I love him and I want to hang out with him. But at the same time, I don't want to get shot. I don't want to go to jail. But if he's going to get shot or go to jail, I want to be with him. So, you know, it was like a time. And then, I, you know, I like hanging out, but those girls weren't into me. I wasn't into those girls. Those dudes weren't into the same shit I was into. They're all very well-dressed, manicured, pretty boys or gang members, whatever. I wasn't into that shit. But I like smoking beaties and listening to rap. This is a story of us hanging out on a Crenshaw, if I'm not mistaken, really offbeat, really upbeat. Who produced this? This is it's four five ACP. This is my friend who I don't know if we've talked about on him on here, but um Sheesh. Um we met in winter session at Fairfax High. He was a tagger, I was a rapper. We were both from the same area. Somebody died in winter session, so we didn't really get to continue bonding because they just canceled winter session because there was so mass amount of fights because they let kids from different neighborhoods sign up for whatever high school they wanted to go to for winter session. And it was mad fights, mass shootings, stabbings and shit. From my understanding, it wasn't the time of the internet. I couldn't find it, but I know someone died at Fairfax High about that shit. Kid came in, you know, brought his gun to school, threw his backpack on the fucking desk. Bullet, gun went off, bullet hit the chalkboard, I think grazed the teacher and shot the kid behind him directly in the head, killed him. Motherfucker, I seen motherfuckers get beat with bats and crowbars outside. Shit was wild. And uh, that was, as you hear me rap about an upcoming album, that was a time where a gangbanger I knew that I thought was the coolest guy was going to put me onto the neighborhood gang. And he said, look, you can rap, you're talented, you're smart as shit. I'm not going to put you on today. But Tomorrow, if you want to come on, get put on, you know where we're at, come to the donut shop. I'll put you on. I'll give you a day to think about it. And I think the next day it was the kid got shot or that next period or something. It was weird. And I was like, nope, this is not what I want to do. And I met 4-5, who was going by Nober from Nothing But Trouble Gang at the time. And he produced. But I lost touch with him. He wanted to rap with me. He had an SP-1200. Um, years later, I meet my best friend, Terry, who I rap about on every song, album. And uh, we went to see Pulp Fiction. The dudes I was with didn't want to see Pulp Fiction. I used to know Terry from the record store. And he was like, where do you live? I was like, I live on Meadowbrook. He's like, I live on Cloverdale. We'll give you a ride home after we see Pulp Fiction. Greatest movie in the world. Hamburgers. The cornerstone of any nutritious brand. He gives me a ride home. I start hanging out at his house one day. Four or five at Nober pops up at his house. I'm like, what's up, cuz? He's like, what's up? And I'm like, oh shit. And they're like, and, and Terry's like, how the fuck you know Damien? And I was like, Nober. And they started laughing because that, you know, that graffiti was 
some weird shit to a lot of these dudes. They didn't call him by his graffiti name. They call him by 4-5, which is producer name and whatever half-ass gang name. And so me and 4-5 started doing music together a little more. So this album was produced by 4-5. So of course I'm rapping about Crenshaw and something then because that's where we would all hang out. Next track is Never Eat, which is a song I made. Elusive gave me the beat. It's a song about eating pussy, which I became... Um, very fond of at this period of my life. I was on the app, so you know I'm selling tapes right. Then this girl passed by with hella body. Damn, I wonder what her face like. We cross paths again. She looked good. I like the vibe. Huh. Wonder what she tastes like, but kept it to myself. Asked the name, no games. Just some conversation. We talked 10 minutes. Asked about the way. But I always loved DJ Quick, and he's one of the few rappers I knew that rapped about it. Yeah, word now that tell you right then and there that I'm a true motherfucker. So you better beware, cause we're hugging and kissing And you wanna get mushy, girl, you best be prepared to fuck Because I love black pussy I can't help it cause I love black pussy I got to have it, just like a rabbit Black pussy Everyone else thought it was gross and weird and whatever I thought it was something you should do um, to Please your woman, you know, maybe I don't know So I have some psychology, edible shit you know, or whatever, just pleasing a woman is very important when you grow up in a single parent household because it's your only parent. You want to make, keep your mom happy so he doesn't beat your ass. And somehow maybe that translates into pleasing your partner for a heterosexual male. I don't know. I don't want to get into psychology. I don't get paid that for that. But really into it. Definitely thought there should be more songs about giving filleting women because Sweet Black Pussy was one of the best songs I ever heard in my life and still is. And the beat was so dope. It had the low end. I knew it would bang in my brother's truck. Man. So that's why it comes, pause comes right after LA Story Part 1 about my little brother because I made that song for him to bang in his truck. The next one is No Regrets, and they had a studio in the back. It was the real gangster studio, like, you know, Pit Bulls or whatever the fuck, house in the front with hella guns and studio in the back. I got nervous every time I had to go to that motherfucker. You know, in the fourth B-145 is, you know, guns and weed everywhere because he was really into his guns and shit. Um, this is what is our homie Greg and his cousin Suleiman, who I think is like a devout Muslim, moved to Egypt or some shit. did those scratches um, but I had to buy Mystical Unpredictable on vinyl and I had to buy E-40 Element of Surprise and that's a remix of a line he had called and you a bitch if you ain't got no click tape bump this shit till your tape break and you a bitch if you didn't buy my last tape but that's the samples from a song called To The Beat Y'all on Element of Surprise where he said you a bitch if you ain't got my last tape and that's him, that's that bastard, is from, um, I think, The Man Right Here. Or one of those songs, Unpredictable, which is a classical, mystic, classic mystical album to me. So that's the kind of music I was into. I wasn't listening, I still haven't heard the whole Black Star album. Haven't heard the whole Roots album since they dropped whatever the fuck they dropped after Do You Want More. I'm really just not in the underground rap. It's not my lifestyle. I'm a kid selling weed, living in a Crip neighborhood, hanging out with Crips rapping as my hopeful profession but mostly selling weed and you know i'm getting there i got a record deal in japan so i'm kind of slowly coming out of that but my roots are gang culture and gangster rap and so no one probably knows where those samples came from 
But yeah, and that's another track by Four Five. And I recorded that in West Oakland. Let's play Never Eat. The sitar, got a little sitar. I think this was before Truth Hurts. The beat is amazing. Shout out to Elusive once again. This is my first foyer into like rapping for real. I don't know if I'm using the word correctly. Diving into rapping about women because I actually started to get laid a little bit. Being on Telegraph, man, Summer Bridge was like, I don't know how to describe it. As an old man, it sounds perverted, but I was a young pervert. When the freshmen, high school seniors, becoming college freshmen, spend the summer at the school they're about to attend, which was Cal Berkeley, which is right off a of telegraph. That was like Christmas for all the single guys, especially them. What do a bunch of street rat, rapping ass kids, weed selling delinquents have to offer women who are about to get a college education? I have no idea. But if you dated a girl during Summer Bridge and you were broke like us, you also got to eat on her meal plan, which is hard. That works. Plus, you get to hang out in dorms where people buy more weed and maybe buy tapes and you can hand out flyers to your show. Is a dream come true. This is me rapping about meeting one of those girls, kind of. I was the impetus, the inspiration for that song, along with the beat being what it was. Sitar is sexy. Sitar means sex to me. I don't know why. Now, after that's him, we get the L.A. Story Part 2 is me freestyling about a time. Um, somebody on Twitch asked me what was the bravest moment of my life. And uh, this is one of the random tag bangers, random crips. We all got together because those are the only people that smoke weed. <coughs> we decided we were going to go beat up some people from a rival tagging crew at another school. So hop the fence at our school, take the bus, or we walked to another school. We're doing something illegal. We're truant. Could have gone to jail for that. God, God is real. Couple of us have guns. One of us has a taser. I don't know why I'm talking like that. It's not like I'm talking in nonsense term. Two of the dudes from the two of the crib dudes had a gun, or two, a gun each. I think yeah, they each had a gun. The homie Melvin had a shocker, and I had weed. Definitely, all of us could have gone to jail. And random graffiti paraphernalia, and pipes, weed, you know, all the whole shit. I'm probably, I think I was carrying a hatchet at the time in my backpack. So I had a hatchet, some weed, a lighter, and a pipe, and some mean streaks, markers, maybe spray paint. Homie had a shocker. Other dude had burners. We're smart, so we ditch all of our shit in a bush before we hop the fence to go. As soon as we hop the fence, the other dudes start running. Then the security, they run and tell their security guards at school. So they run in to get us. Their security guards run, so we hop. I get to do my infamous, like, juice, flip over, Grab the other side of the fence, flip your legs over, jump. It's like a fucking, I say 15, 15 foot to 20 foot fence. And uh, at a learning institution, we're running across the street, standing outside now laughing. Some uh, chola rolls up on us like, where the fuck you guys from? And uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like a random nigga. So I'm like, or, you know, whatever I'm claiming at the time. I'm, you know, I hit her up, blah. The other homie hit her up, blah, blah. The other niggas hit her cuz, blah, blah, blah. But it was like a roll call. Like, cause everybody was from somewhere different. It was like four different sets. And then she like looked confused. And she goes, this daddy, I thought she said, with that West Side Carpenters gang. And we're all, you know, we're black kids. It's her gang is from East Los or some shit. And I was like, we were like, huh? And she said, fuck you. I never heard of your shitty ass gangs either. And left. <laughs> 
But they had pulled like like they were about to pull the burner out. It was a primered out low rider station wagon. I'll never forget it because I thought we were dead. Later on, I found out that she was from Dead End Harpies, which is a serious ass gang. And the dudes in the car, the, there are dudes in the car, but they didn't say shit. They were just ready to smoke us if we said some stupid shit. And we did say some stupid, I don't, it was just such an awkward moment where we banged on them and they banged on us and we both didn't know what gang they were talking or couldn't understand. It was like a cultural differences, like an impasse. And then it's like, fuck it. And then, so then we went across the corner around into the bush, dudes grabbed their gun. We're walking, and I swear out of nowhere, they turn around and sock one of the dudes in the face that was with us. But none of us are real friends. Me and Melvin are the only two that are really friends. We see, and we're only friends because we see each other on the bus, and we both write graffiti, and we like Gangstar. That's the only, and we smoke weed. <laughs> I don't know where he lives. I don't know his last name. We just see each other, and like. He's like, hey, we should wear our pant leg up like Guru did in X-Girl in the next girl video. Yeah, that'd be tight. That type of shit. Oh, you see that just came out? That's it. We don't even shop at the same record store because the record stores you shop at is dictated by what hood you live in. He lived in Playboy hood, so we didn't go to the same record store. He had the shocker. Dude hit him. Dudes with the burner bombed on his homie. He took off. I'm like, nigga, you talking about shocking somebody all day. You didn't even shock this nigga, man. What the fuck? And then they pulled out the burners and put it to the little homie's head. And it's like, yo, we don't. And I was like, y'all, I can't let you. I'd stand some stupid fucking square Jesus shit. Like, I can't let y'all shoot him. Trade from the boys in the hood. Okie doke. Dumb shit. Y'all y'all can't shoot him. And I ain't right. Come on, leave him alone. I ain't gonna let y'all shoot him. I ain't gonna let me out, though. I'm like, I ain't, I ain't gonna let y'all shoot him. I ain't gonna let y'all shoot him. I ain't gonna let y'all shoot him. Y'all can't do that. So they're like, oh, okay, nigga. And they cock the burners and they pour him at me. And they're like, now you run, nigga. And I'm like, come on, man. Run. I'm zigzagging, running, running, running. But the, as soon as they turn to me, the other homie got to run too. They laugh, of course, they're not gonna shoot anybody. You know, nobody wants to shoot nobody over nothing. They just being bullies because they didn't get to beat. You know, you have that aggression. We all had that aggression. We wanted to fuck these other dudes up. And then the girl hit us up. So it's like, now that I'm older, it's like I'm not a psychologist, but I'm a street psychologist. Like we were all off, like coming down off adrenaline. I physically get ill when I think I'm gonna fight and I don't. So I don't know if they, I don't know how everybody reacts differently. Anyway, I'm running, I'm in a neighborhood that I don't know. I run into, thankfully, some of my homeboys that I went to elementary school with. These are the kids now that I checked back into a LA Unified school. I'm not cool. I'm a weirdo. So even though we were best friends in third grade, had hella sleepovers, they've been to my birthday party, they know my mama, they don't talk to me. They literally do some cool, like, 80s sitcom bullshit to me where I can't sit at the cool table anymore. Not that I don't, I want to. You know, but like one of them, like, I know I like it. You still listen to BDP, bro? Like, come on, let's, let's just be hip hop. He didn't want to be hip hop. He wanted to be a fake ass gangbanger. And here we are two years into high school on different sides of the fence. Now I'm really hanging out with gangbangers and he's fucking girls because they think he's a gangbanger. So he's taking these girls, about to go to this girl's house. I was like, hey, I won't say his name. I'm like, hey, bro, y'all gotta let me roll with y'all in this house real quick. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, these niggas from blah, blah, blah is trying to shoot me, nigga. They, I'm about to die, cuz. Like, let me come in the house. Nah, nah, man. You got you, you to gotta get out of here with that shit. I'm like, bro, I need you. Like, you know, like we've known each other since we were five years old, bro. Nah. 
At least tell me how to get out of here. Like, where's Pico? Where's Pico? Where's Pico? Like, all I got, I'm in West LA, nigga. Like, I gotta get to Pico. Let me get to Pico. They go off this way. All right. So I'll run. I'm mad. Years later, though, one of those niggas had an artist and I was popping and he wanted me to do a feature. He kept saying, meet with my artist. I was like, fuck no. Fuck you. I held that grudge for good reason. Fuck him. I tell you, I'm about to die. You tell me I can't hang out in the house for 15 minutes? You the phone? Anyway, so that freestyle's about that. I guess I hadn't had shit to do. I seen these fools from another crew. I was like, which office to get into? They said, come with us. We got on the line that was blue. Took it all the way up the hill. I'm not going to say the name of the school because this shit is real. We got off the bus. Saw some fools from another gang. They had some blue rags. It was all cool and everything. They said they knew these fools. I was with it was trust. They said they wanted to come with us and kick up dust. We hopped the fence, got in, sat on their bench and ready to get down. But as soon as Next is room 316. Down, you know, when I first got into hard liquor, I recorded that on my Roland VS840. I don't know what. I was drinking some cheap cognac or some shit. Yeah, that was uh, me doing a voice, trying to be like Shock G Rob feature, um, which is an alias I chose uh, to do like this loud singing. We're like, hey, no, 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 no. Let me see if I can play it. On my jacket, pal. Hit it. Welcome to room 316, everybody. I'm gonna be your host tonight, Rob Feature, as I am every night of the week. Tonight we got this kid, uh, Merch, Merch. The next one, this one right here is produced by Elusive. I don't know where the fuck he got this one. This, so this is Elusive's range. Track two, Simple, which is super high pitched. Number six, which has a sitar and like the, the killer low end. Than this. So I walk the streets, wonder what's on the horizon. Realize everything's so changed, nothing stays forever. Cause I walk the streets, wanna try to keep this beady lit. Definitely something I got from Black Thought was um, Lazy Afternoon. I've been trying to make a song like that for my rest of my life. And um, suck a nigga by. Q-tip or try call quest. This I just use and walk the streets. One of what's on the horizon, blah, blah, blah. It's another day, and I'm trying to keep my beady lit. Blah, 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 blah. About getting sweated at the bus stop. About my brother being a fucking hard head. And going to the liquor store, motherfuckers acting funny with you. The beat is amazing. It's super smooth. I think Reverie actually likes this song. I'm embarrassed by this whole shit once again. And I know I do this for Patreon, but I also do this for my sons and um, so they can hear what their dad was thinking when they hear this fucking ignorant-ass, unprofessional, sloppy music. All right, this next one is Mystical Way. So Bruce Hathcock is a singer, uh, also a, he knew elusive. And his brother Josh was playing the horn on Mystical Way. They had this beat with, they were in Hyde Street Studios doing this song. And I was like, yo, I did these songs for you, Elusive. Let me get this for my album. Because I wanted something with singing on it. Because I'm, you know, I'm in the gangster rap. It's not Nate Dog, but this is as close as I'm going to get to Nate Dog. Not to say that Bruce isn't as talented, it's just not the same style. But I wanted some vocals on my album. It's a mystical day with the glow. 
Somehow elusive, let me do it. I just freestyle, fuck up the whole song. Eli has a dope ass verse. Bruce's hook is dope. Josh plays the horn dope. And elusive killed the beat. I shouldn't have freestyled. I should have wrote something, but I thought I was dope. Bruce now lives, um, his son is a dope ass rapper from LA. I think he goes by low class. Uh, Bruce now owns Legend Barbershop, the infamous Legend Barbershop on Fairfax. His brother Goose runs that, and Bruce runs Legends in Sydney, Australia now. Um, really successful, very dope barbers. And Bruce was also signed to Mo Thug Entertainment with DJ Unique and sung on multiple various Mo Thug releases. Bruce Hathcock also has albums and shit on um, streaming. He's talented as fuck. Next song is Chico's Chicken. So DJ Quiet Storm is the guy who originally started Mr. Journeyman's connection to Japan. My connection to Japan didn't come through Quiet Storm and Mystic Journeyman. It came through Shingo. But being that it's Japan, you know, the hip hop scene is small, just like the LA, like the weird niggas all knew each other. Elusive, like if you smoke weed and you made music, it wasn't that many of us because it still costs money to buy MP. I told you how much it costs to put out a tape on your own. To get the studio time was even more, 50, 60, 70, $100 an hour, motherfuckers would gouge you. So it was expensive to be in there. And for kids who were the at-risk youth making this happen, if you were selling drugs or something, you weren't using the money to do a studio. Now I think about it, it's probably why all these like, dudes that were kind of weird, they would use their money to buy those nice denim jackets and shit and get bitches rather than put in the studio. Thank God I was asexual and weird. So anyway, Tokyo, same thing. Quiet Storm knew of Higo. Higo knew of Quiet Storm, but they hadn't, you know, done any business together. I kind of was that bridge. So we recorded this in Quiet Storm's house. Now, if you've ever been in Japan, it's a very compact city, densely populated. Imagine eight black men living in one bedroom Japanese home. They had it upstairs and downstairs. Rob and his wife, Chico, DJ Quiet Storm and his wife, Chico, lived upstairs. There was one bathroom, I think two cats, and we all slept downstairs in the kitchen and living room on the floor. Grouch, Eli, me, Aesop, Sunspot, Lucky. I don't think Arata was with us. Before Bizarro went on tour and before Scarab got out of school. That's a lot of motherfuckers, man. Six grown men living, drinking, smoking, shitting, eating, fucking all in this place for three weeks. No hotels. No, sir. I don't know when we're going to get into Japanese stories, but there are some fucking stories. Liquor was free on international flights. You could buy a case of cigarettes at the duty free. I didn't travel with BDs because they look like weed. So I would start smoking cigarettes when we were overseas. As soon as you got across American waters, they turn on the smoking light. And there was a whole section in the back where they didn't sell the seats. They're open. You can get up, leave your seat, take your free liquor in the back and smoke cigarettes. I had a DVD player, portable DVD players. The four laptops had DVD players in them. And so I had a laptop. I always had all the technology. Laptop, mini disc player, portable DVD player, no iPod. 
um, no cell phone. You had to have a call. And oh, that's all right. Six grown motherfuckers using the phone to call back all their girls and girlfriends and family members in the States on a calling card, on a regular landline. Y'all ain't ready, bro. Fuck, fuck, fuck all these young motherfuckers and their shit and their Instagram photos of them touring overseas. Fuck you, bro. We were thugging it out. Smoking cigarettes on the back of the plane, drinking cognac, free Remy Martin. I'll never forget. Free Remy Martin, bro. I was wasted. First time I went to Japan, I flew out by myself. I landed in Narita. I don't know how to explain to you guys going through customs for the first time by yourself in a country where there's not even letters. Everything is kanji. Everything is symbols. I don't know where to fucking go. to Shibuya, place that cross the crosswalk you see when they describe Tokyo where there's like a million people, a million lights. That is the station I get off at. Multiple levels, multiple trains, nothing in English. The Narita Express goes to Shibuya station. I get off with my bags. This is before I know I have anxiety and panic attacks. All, and I'm the tallest person. Everyone's smoking cigarettes. Everyone's, I'm from LA. Everyone's touching you. Everyone's close. There's millions of people, I feel like, like ants. And this is in my mind. And I'm like, so I just start screaming, move, move, cuz, move. I'm just like bullying my way through here. I don't have a cell phone. They say they're going to meet me at the north exit. Which way is north, bro? There's no sign that says North Shibuya exit. I'm lost. I'm freaking out. They're supposed to pick me up at we. I called 18 hours ago when I got on the plane from the airport and said my flight lands at this time. Quiet Storm, who I never met, tells me, take this train, do that. We'll be at Shibuya station to pick you up. I don't have money for a hotel. I don't speak the language. They're just supposed to pick me up at Shibuya station. I don't see them. Finally, I hear someone call my name. I turn. It's a white guy. I'm assuming it's Quiet Storm. He gets me in his car. We go to his house. And then I'm the sixth person on this floor. Japan is everything I thought it would be. Uh, The clubs, the women, the anime. This is what I'm original anime before... You could, when there was three anime selections at Blockbuster, Fist of the North Star, Bao, and Akira. You had to mail order and pay big money to get VHS, and you couldn't even play those. You had to have a Japanese, you had to have a VHS player that played Japanese VHS tapes before you could just break the territory code on your DVDs. And then even then, when you had an Apple computer, you could only play DVDs out of the region five times before it permanently converted to the region you were playing shit in. Don't fucking tell me about anime. But I made it. I made it. I made it. And I had the time of my life. 
I got my first record deal. It was phenomenal. I couldn't, I, we went to nightclubs, we met women, we had fun. We had, so Aesop, they had replica guns that they wouldn't sell in the U.S. This motherfucker bought a replica gun, went through Quiet Storm's neighborhood, and it was called Nakamegru. And Nakamegru, shooting people's cats with a pellet gun. We go back inside, we get a knock on the door, and it's like, yo, it's the police. Oh, shit, God. I'm like, damn. We have to send Quiet Storm down there because we don't speak the language, right? He guy says, the police says, yo, there are reports. Can I see the guy that, you know, you have a black, basically, sure he said, you have a black guy, Coco Jean. You have a black guy living here. Nihon Jean is, uh, Guy Jean is white. Nihon Jean's Japan. Nihon's how you say Japan, Japan, Japanese. And Coco Jean is like black people. Me and Aesop come outside because we're the two walking through the neighborhood. Rob, Quiet Storm is translating for us. He's like, ask them if they have a real gun. We said, what? You know, we're playing down like, what, why? Quiet Storm, we say, why, why? Or what, why? I don't remember that. And he looks back, turns around, looks at us and goes, because if you guys have a real gun, he needs to know because he needs to go back to the station and check his out. And then he'll come back with his gun. They, He got a report of two black men walking through a neighborhood shooting cats. He rode up on his bicycle that went bring, 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 bring. That's how Rob knew to come outside or come downstairs. Imagine if America did that. And we're like, no, it's not a real gun. We showed him. He's just like, don't do that anymore. And left. It's one story from Japan. Ah, oh, man, I could go on. It, it, it was, they had a club called Harlem. We went to Club Harlem almost every night. Went to other hip-hop clubs. We just grabbed the mic and hop on, hop on the bar and start rapping to try to sell tapes. Then we went to Manhattan Records, to all these record stores, and took our cassette tapes and sold them for yen to buy machines, to buy headphones, to buy tapes. Man, it was three weeks of some of the best times of my life. But when I look back into it, it wasn't that fly. Like it, But it, it built something. So this song called Chico's Chicken was recorded in DJ Quiet Storm's house on his equipment. I feel like that he's not credited because he did this. The one that's not credited on Discog. I can help dig us up. Discogs. Discogs out. Because I was quiet storm on the beat, I think. Because he did that final, I'm a legend. On top of that, I'm living. LL, you don't understand, son. That was my idea. I always had, I had these samples because I listen to so much rap. I'm a lyric person, not a beat person. So I always, if you need a, a vocal sample for something, Melancholy Manuscripts, that was me. Like, anything. I got it red dots I'll, I'll tell you what to scratch i know what song it is i know where it is back then you had to have the wax quiet storm sampled that made that beat and i wanted this because i referenced jackie estacado who's a protagonist in a comic book on top cow called the darkness and the darkness was my favorite comic at the time i read every issue and I thought my verse was so dope because I got to put the bravado of Jackie Estocado, The Darkness, in the intro. And so I wanted it for my album. They gave it to me. We recorded it, named it Chico's Chicken because we're a bunch of black men. And of course, we're genetically predisposed to liking chicken, even when it's not fried. And Chico made the most amazing chicken. Oh, my God. Rap Above Average and Iron Shit. I got to sample Jay-Z from Volume 1, which is one of my favorite Jay-Z albums. Wild Rap Above Average and Iron Shit. Also got to put the um I ain't trying to tell you shit. I'll tell your mama you ain't shit from Juice from Tupac. Amazing. I ain't shit. 
ain't gonna be shit. And you less of a man than me. So soon as I decide you ain't gonna be shit. So be it. So be it. And this reminds me of why you over there looking at me. Neptune's flipped to better, no disrespect, 4-5. Yeah, that's why I always like that song by Mace. The only reason I ever bought a Mace album. This next song is produced by Grouch. So one time Grouch gave me a beat. It's really hard to get beats from Grouch and Eli and everybody. No, this recorded this thing. Grouch moved out of the outhouse. I think he had just started dating his soon-to-be wife, now ex-wife, I believe. He uh, gave me a beat, and we did a song about our mothers. One song I have about my mother, I should have way more songs about my mother, because she is everything, and she definitely, this time, she still wasn't believing in my career. However, now, no one believes in her, my career more than her. It's like, So yeah, it's about just, you know, when you put your parents on a pedestal, I was, at, you know, 20, 21, coming to grips with my issues with my mom weren't really my issues with my mom, it was the issues with the expectations I have for my mother. When you have expectations of people, they're always going to let you down. So it's just me kind of putting that into format. It's kind of, I think it was rather deep for a 20-year-old to come up with. Um, what else do I remember about this time? Picasso lived on this side. I think Jan lived on the other side and had a weird apartment in East Oakland. Next, right next, I think it was closer to Marisco's. We used to call this restaurant Marisco's because we didn't know the name, but we didn't know that was like Spanish for fish. We thought the name of the restaurant was Marisco's because what it said on the side. I remember the first time I got so drunk, and I'm going to tell this now. Weirdly enough, Grouch, for that apartment, bought the same couch that I grew up on. It was a used couch, and it just happened to be the same exact couch that my mom, I think, still has in a garage to the day that I grew up on. That's been in every apartment, every house we lived in, in some shape or fashion. And maybe that's why. But I got drunk, I slept on that couch, and I pissed on myself. I, pissed, I was so drunk, I pissed on myself and the couch. I woke up the next day, scrubbed it down, and flipped the thing over before anybody woke up and left. <laughs> and went walk back to the outhouse. I've never admitted that to anyone. Here we go on this podcast. What a fucking scumbag. Horrible. Never drink that much. Sorry, Grouch. Eli that now listens to this. You know, wouldn't be right if I didn't keep it real. Next song is too original where 4-5 actually raps with me. So this is 4-5 is the guy who my goddaughters that I rap about on Can It Be. Those are his daughters. My goddaughters. I know I've told this story in multiple interviews, but basically, I told you guys how I met him. He would, after, we would be going different ways. He was definitely still very much in the streets doing street shit. I don't know how his daughters need to know everything. But uh, he could drive. He always could drive. He always had a rando car. He could rent a car. I told him if he rented a car and drove me up to Oakland, I'd pay him. But I also wanted him to see what I was doing because I felt like, well, if he saw me sell these tapes and make a quick 750 bucks, which is a big deal, and cover the rental car shit, he would be like, yo, I gotta do this, man. Yeah, we drove up to the Bay. We got a hotel, a janky-ass hotel because we didn't have no credit cards. Sold the tapes, spent the night, he drove me back the next day. On the way back, 
we were coming up on a car. I don't know how he didn't see it. His name is Damon. I said, Damon, God, Damon. And he's the car in front of us slammed on his brakes. Damon jerked the wheel to the left. We went off the road into a ditch and jerked the wheel back up. And uh, he's like, I never forgot that. I remember seeing him. Because we, we went to jail often. And we, one day he's like, cuz, I just want you. I think we were on the phone. He called me and collect one. I was like, cuz, I want you to know, I never forgot that you saved my life, man. I'm able to see my babies now. Because he just had another dog. He's like, I wouldn't be able to see her if you didn't save my, we were dead. Because he was going so fast. Because he drove fast. He lived fast. He, we were, he was gone. And I don't know why he didn't see it if he was dazed and all, but he smoked a lot of weed and we almost died. Anyway, we lived long enough to do this song, two original, one of my favorite songs, just because my boy, I'm a weapon of mass destruction on the mic at five, my prototype. He did the beat, we rapped on, it's called Two Original, my motherfucker straight from the, and we were saying Mid-City because that's where we united because nobody was saying Mid-City, everybody was saying Compton, Wise, whatever. We didn't say West L.A. yet. Later on, due to gang shit, he started saying West L.A. I'm a weapon of mass destruction on the mic And fries my prototype Like I swap me with my vocal slice Unoriginal, me the brains My main frames to leave mental frames and blood stains Internally, my poet style bust externally Eternally holding down my ground In the city westbound, my town In the scandalous ass wickedness But I went on that trip with him to show him that you could do this. He didn't have to do what he was doing. And before he passed away, he was supposed to produce Murray's Revenge. That's why Murray's Revenge is the last thing I say. Through souls of his, through deeds of a friend, and success always been the best form of revenge, the end. Should I die? Don't look for the dude that killed me. Look for a brighter tomorrow. And in spite of the sorrow, live every moment to the fullest so your life isn't hollow. And you can holler out my name from the top of the game. And should you pass, homie, I'ma promise I'll do the same. For if a soul is avenged through the deeds of a friend, the success has always been the best form of revenge, the end. because he didn't get to do it. And I didn't ever thought, he was a street dude and, I, and his beats were very hood and black. And I knew that my underground fans that I had built wouldn't be responsive to that anymore. Once we did, once I did the end of the beginning, I started to get acclaim and we did felt. And then we did, I did 316, like people wanted that boom bap, but that wasn't me. That's not where my heart is. You know what I mean? I love it. I love boom bap hip hop, but that's not where my heart, it's not where I'm at all the way. And he. I was like, we're going to do the next one with you regardless. So they're just going to have to accept it, me and you. And he started a label called Money First. And I was helping him, you know, shooting the money to get, because he was signing kids from the neighborhood, getting them in the studio too, like really trying to help the hood. And I was like, I was funding it. And then he got smoked and it was then. But that's one of my favorite memories because it's what I have um, of my boy. Uh, yeah. Next song is LA Story Part 3. And... Um, that's what lucky I am at 427. I don't know why 427 is on LA Story Part 3. He's not from LA, but um, Lucky raps about hanging out at Tolo's house. And we told you a story about Lucky. Lucky lived two blocks south of me um, on Meadowbrook on the same street. We didn't meet each other until we were in Santa Cruz years later. So he raps about growing up in our neighborhood. I rap about, oh yeah, I, ra- I don't bang. I rock the good rhymes. One night I was walking down Pico in a little neighborhood gang. Dude's, dude was, um, even from where I hung out on Coverdale and Pico, I'm from Meadowbrook and Olympic and La Brea. It's a different, different gang, different neighborhood, basically. Before the big gang swallowed up and kind of corporately, what is it called? Hostile, hostile, I hate that term, took over the other gang. Gangs, little gang, the prep gangs got swallowed up by the big gang. 
this is one of the dudes that was still claiming one of the prep gangs. Like my brother used to from my brother, like I said, he was a bigger dude. So for the younger kids, my brother was a bully. Like he, you know, intimidated a lot of these little motherfuckers. I just had a cell phone. I was getting my little rap money on, I think. Or maybe not. Maybe I had to go back to T's house and call my brother. But dude took off his shirt on me. Nigga, this blah, 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 blah. You don't know, nigga. Blah, blah, blah. Like, hit me up. I never get hit up on people. You better not even, like, you know, tattoos showing a nigga better never look. Like, that's for real, bro. I'm like, what? Nigga, like, who? And he's claiming my hood. Like, that on Pico, there's no, nobody. He was from, Fair, was from Fairfax Posse. Fairfax Posse gang. And I was like, bro, you better roll that up. Like, I know you're, he, he was a little homie of one of the dudes I grew up playing basketball with. Selling weed to. I'm like, smoking weed with. I'm like, bro, you better roll that up. I don't give a fuck who you know, nigga. Where are you from? I'm like, bro, I'll beat your motherfucker. I'm like, how old are you? Like, nigga, probably. So I was like, man. And T was like, man, let's leave it alone. When I'm with Terry, like, Terry's definitely turn, turning me down all the time. And I went home. And I was like, you know, I was like, I got his. And he told me, I'm, I'm blah, little blah, blah. From, I'm not going to say who. I'm little blah, blah from Fairfax, nigga. And I was like, all right, cuz. Cool. I probably didn't even say cuz to him. I don't want no conflict, no problem. Turning it down. I get home, I call my brother. I'm like, hey, do you know such and such? My brother said, hold on. Pulled up with him in the car. Little dude got out. I'm so sorry, homie. I didn't know your brother was big, blah, blah, blah. So that's what that verse is about. Little motherfucker. On my way to the store, this little nigga hit me up. I just looked at him crazy. Fool, you don't know me. I used to serve sacks to your big, big homies when we was your age. Start off acting silly, about to make the front page. No heat, no chunkums. Thinking to myself, one punch. I see some shit in my growing up times. Been throwing up signs since elementary lunch line first confined and convinced every nigga's a potential threat before you're 21. You face potential death. That's Eclipse 427 did that beat. I'm pretty sure he did um, my story. I hate my voice and all this shit. Um, but yeah, Eclipse did that. Um, track 17, LA Story Part 3. My story is done by 45. Um... And then the day walk. It's control. over. It ain't nothing nobody can do about it now. What's she gonna do then? Well, this is me putting together shit off VHS tapes. First, basically, I'm just gonna, gonna walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane and Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get, get in adventures. adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where He wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. That was my outro. Um, Daywalker was uh, a reference to Blade, who was like part vampire, part human. And that's always I felt like torn between being part backpacker and part gangbanger. And uh, I think that's what we talked about one of them. So like one of the girls I was dating around this time, her um, her sister, I would always come over and mess with her. Her and her best friend were seeing kind of both of them at one time. But they both lived in the same apartment with her big sister. Her big sister dated some L.A. football playing dude that played for Cal. And uh, I was selling weed, too. <laughs> so they called me one time from East Oakland. And uh, homegirl was like, yo, you got to come. My, my, my sister's boyfriend just showed up. He wants to buy some weed. <laughs> Plus, that means, you know, come over and fuck. So I was like, all right, cool. Got on a bus from the east side all the way to Berkeley. Get there tonight. She's rolling. She said, the dude showed up and said, hey, tell that bumper hair crip nigga. <laughs> 
<laughs> to bring some weed over here. And that was the most apt description of who I was, a higher a higher being with that. And so that's where the day walker shit came from because it's just, if, people, if you meet me with my guard down, it's not the person I present on felt, it's not the person I take on tour, it's not the person. But that time I only had, I had not been refined enough to tuck in code switching. Before I became fluent in switching code, this is who I was. And uh, so Daywalker is like half vampire, half half human. And that's why the first Daywalker outro, intro became. Because I was like, this is who I'm going to be on records from here on out. And I was moving back to L.A. I couldn't be in the Bay anymore. I just had to move back and just be on Cloverdale and, and, and get an apartment and just like, you know, make it as an indie rapper in L.A. I couldn't be in the Bay anymore. I couldn't, um, yeah, it just wasn't a... It wasn't me. I, I knew who I was. I had to, you know, sometimes you had to get away from home to become who you are. And this is what definitely takes us hard into Merch Rules the World. This is um, been good music. Oh shit, the bonus CD. If you could find it, bro, and you want to buy it, yes, it's the lowest price it's selling for is $5. Median is $12.98. $18.49 is the highest. If you could find the original Mary Joy pressing of that, man, had the second CD and it had my idol, Walker Martin, uh, who we talked about here, who owned the record store, who was the funniest dude, man. God bless his soul, man. Yeah, man. He was my idol. He was, he was one person I look up to. He helped me out so much. He's on there. My brother's on there. The truck with the beat on there. Him playing um, Never Eat, track number six with the bass is on there. Um, all these little clips, man. I can't find them on YouTube, and I don't have the CD anymore. But um, yeah, it's a pretty interesting CD rom. I don't even know how you get the data off of that now. The extra songs, I don't even remember what they were, bro. Uh, but they were mostly produced by Elusive. They were old, like... Log Cabin Part 2 shit. Like, um, Nose, who was in a group called Us Pros, was very... And a guy named Tim Sears. So dope. His voice is so dope. Tim Sears. Damn, I haven't said that name in so long. So it's like people from Us Pros, Eli, Tom Slick, who drew the alternate cover of Good Music, which is on Spotify now. He drew that for me, my best friend at the time, and DJ Jeremy Ammon, a.k.a. Tom Slick. He's rapping on there. Elusive did a lot of beats. When Elusive was going to SF State, we recorded at his house. Yeah, those are the songs. I don't know what songs on there. There's videos on there. And I think they haven't pressed this on vinyl. This might exist on vinyl somewhere because everything is on vinyl. That's it, y'all. Yeah, best rapper in LA. Thank you for tuning in. If no one told you today, I love you. Peace, peace. <laughs>